Hey, we're so glad that you're with us this morning, and we want to thank you. On a beautiful day like today, you could be out gardening, you could be out riding a bike out in a park somewhere, you could be having big plans about what you're going to work on your house on, uh, you could even be <clears throat> clicking on to something else right now. I'm sure there's notifications on your phone, on your TV that could uh, distract you and to pull you away into doing something else. Thank you for not doing that, and thank you for joining in and deciding that today you're going to worship with us, with Clarksburg Baptist Church. And we know that that is a big deal, and there's so much that's vying for our attention right now. And thank you for sticking with us, and uh, we, we just are so glad that you're with us right now. And uh, hey, let's make sure that we're greeting people down there. You see someone you miss, you let them know. And uh, we just are so excited to continue our series this morning on the Apostles' Creed. This is week four on our six-week series on the Apostles' Creed. And uh, we're getting near the, the back half of this. And there's some really great doctrinal stuff that we're going to look at today. I'm going to remind you that we don't use this creed as scripture. We don't have any creed that we hold up as scripture, that the Bible is the supreme authority. It's our only source of faith and practice. But we see this creed does agree with scripture, so we can look at it as a clear and concise way for us to remember who our God is. The res resurrection we talked about Last week, Jesus was crucified, died, and was buried, and rose again on the third day. Hey, that's the biggest event in the entirety of history. But this next part we look at and we think about, it's probably something we often overlook, the ascension of Jesus. And we're going to take a look in the account in Acts, in Acts chapter 1, in verse 1 through 11. So if you want to go and turn in your Bible, we're going to stick there. We're going to read a chunk of Scripture together. Don't you love God's Word? And it's so cool to be able to look at these things all together at the same time. Uh, but we're going to see in this passage, it's going to talk about the ascension. Now, Acts was written by a doctor named Luke. And he also wrote another book of the Bible. Can you guess what book of the Bible that was? Luke, yeah, you did it, great job. Acts is a, a, a history of the early church, whereas Luke is a biography of the life of Jesus. So, and you're going to see here, he begins this book talking to a man named Theophilus, who was a Roman official. He's trying to convince Theophilus of the gospel. And Luke realizes that the best proof that we have for the gospel is first... The book of Luke talks about the life of Jesus, the life, burial, uh, excuse me, life, death, and burial and resurrection of Jesus. That that's the, where you need to start the gospel uh, with. But then another great proof is what he covers in the book of Acts, which is the, uh, the fact that the church started like wildfire and has spread and also has had lasting power for 2,000 years now that we see. So let's check out Acts chapter 1, verse 1. It says, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up, after he given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. 
Now, he presented himself alive after the death and the, the resurrection, and after suffering uh, many, uh, by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking to them about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to, to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men standing by them in white robes said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who has come, uh, been taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So what we see here is Jesus is stepping back into heaven, out of this realm, out of this dimension, if you will, and he's stepping right back to the right hand of the Father. See, when Jesus came to earth, he shrouded himself in humanity, and he walked, and he talked, and he ate, and he slept, all those things. And see, if you wanted to talk to Jesus, if you wanted to see Jesus, you had to go to a physical location. You had to go where Jesus was, in Jerusalem. But when we see Jesus shake off his humanity... He ascends to heaven and sits at the rightful place at the right hand of the Father. See, you know, Jesus could have done this whenever he wanted to, right? He could have ascended at any moment. When Judas betrayed him, he could have, bam, he could have gotten out of there. When he was beaten and scourged and mocked and spit on, he could have ascended at any moment he wanted to. Those that tortured uh, Jesus on the cross, they challenged him to save himself. He could have lifted himself off that cross and ended the pain and went straight back to heaven. Could you imagine that restraint to have the power to take yourself out of any painful situation? But instead, Jesus decided to bear that and to end his life for us, to, to allow himself to be crucified. For a bunch of people that have dug themselves into a hole so far that they could never get out of it. But Jesus didn't ascend a moment before it was time. And now because Jesus ascended, the Bible tells us that you don't have to go to Jerusalem to talk to Jesus anymore. There's no physical location that's more spiritual than any other. Why? Because God made it all. And in fact, if you're a Christian... You can talk to Jesus whenever you want, even right now, in your living room. You don't have to go to a physical location. Because if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. God dwells in you. Now, there's an interesting question in this passage uh, 
they asked Jesus right before his ascension here. It's in verse 6 that we just read, and it says, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, let's real quick recap the Old Testament. What are they talking about here? Well, God forms this people called Israel. They're his chosen people. They're going to be his people. And he gives Israel the prophets, he gives them the law, he gives them the temple, and he also makes a bunch of covenants and promises with them. God was setting this people apart to show the world what it looked like to have a right relationship with God, a vertical right relationship, and a right relationship with our neighbor. This is what God was showing us how to live. But the disciples are asking now, is it over? Is this grand experiment over where we see the right relationship we need to have with the Father and the right relationship we need to have with each other? That's what the disciples are asking. Is it all over? Because they had seen slavery and they had seen exile and they've been conquered over and over and over again, torn from their home. And now they're conquered by the Roman Empire. Is all of this over yet? Finally, we've been waiting. The Messiah came and died and he rose again. That's what we've been waiting for, right? Is this broken world going to be fixed? Finally, is it over? We can kind of feel that way right now in this time of disease and quarantine and, uh, uh, you know, fear and anxiety is it over yet when is going to be the end of this god are you going to step in and fix this will you finally make all things new and accomplish everything that you said you were going to well we might not like the answer that jesus gave them in verse 6 We start again. It says, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Are you going to finally fix everything that's broken? And Jesus said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. See, it's not up for you to know. God has that authority. So here's the question. Do you trust him? We can cry out and say, God, is it over yet? God says, do you trust me to know that the time is right? But here's the amazing thing. But even though we're in this time of waiting between the ascension and the time that he comes back again, he doesn't leave us alone. He tells us in verse 8 that we just read, it says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria to the ends of the earth. See, God sent us this Holy Spirit and its power. So in this time of waiting between the ascension and when he comes back again and this complete restoration of the entire creation, he sent us the Holy Spirit so we would not be alone. And in this time of wondering, when God is going to fix everything, when all this brokenness is going to be healed and restored, in this time, God has sent you the Holy Spirit to comfort you and to help you. 
But not just for you to hold up in a cave somewhere or hold on till Jesus comes back and just to sit back and wait and be comforted. No, God wants to launch you out into the world as a herald and as a witness to the uttermost parts of the world, to your neighborhood, to this state, to this country, and to the ends of the earth. He wants to launch you out as a witness. Because when Jesus ascended to heaven, he left us here with a mission. But then he also left us the power to fulfill that mission through the Holy Spirit. And now we are sent. But how does the Holy Spirit help you, right? What is the Holy Spirit actually going to do? Well, if you're actually a real and genuine believer and a a genuine Christian, then it's only because the Holy Spirit illuminated those things in your heart and drew you to God. It's not you. You're only a Christian. Those things only seemed beautiful and interesting and compelling because God drew you to himself through the Holy Spirit. Next, the Bible tells us that not only are we drawn by the Holy Spirit, but we're sealed with the Holy Spirit. We don't have to worry about God ever turning his back on us. We don't have to worry about losing our salvation. See, through the Holy Spirit, we have a fixed relationship with God the Father. Our vertical relationship is fixed. But what about our horizontal relationships? What about our relationships with each other? What about my relationship with my neighbor? How does the Holy Spirit help me with that? Well, the Bible tells us that if we walk in the Spirit, our earthly relationships can be fixed as well. It tells us that we're going to bear fruit, these things in our lives that will help us with our relationships. This fruit is things that we would not otherwise bear. It doesn't have anything to do with our personality. These are things that come only through the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5.22 lists them for us. It says the fruit of the Spirit is this. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now, notice it says fruit of the Spirit, not fruits. And what it's trying to tell us there is it's not that, oh, Phil's a love tree and you're a peace tree. And I just have one of these fruits that I'm really good at and the Spirit gives me that. No, that's not what it's saying here. These are fruit. If you are a Christian, you ought to bear all of these fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness. Yes, some of these things might be easier, but we all, as Christians, if we're walking in the Spirit, we all ought to have self-control. We all ought to be gentle through the Holy Spirit. But because of the ascension, God sent his Holy Spirit, and we are not alone. And between now and the second coming of Jesus, we'll never be perfect, we'll never be sinless, but we should be growing. We should be making progress. Now, I don't struggle with the same things that I struggled with early on. I've been saved, uh, I don't know, at the age of eight. So however many, 20, 25 years, whatever, however much math is, is really hard. Uh, but 
I don't struggle with the same things I struggled with then. I don't struggle with the same things I struggled with as a teenager. The things I struggled as a, as a born-again, saved teenager was cussing and chasing girls and fighting. I don't, I don't struggle with those same things anymore. But I have my own struggle still. I still struggle with sin. Why? Because those were all just symptoms of the problem of sin. And you ought to be making progress. If you're still struggling with what you struggled with 20 years ago, hey, we need to be checking those things out and saying, why am I not growing? Why am I not making progress? Our struggles will change, but we will struggle until Jesus comes back and he makes all things new. And that should create a longing in us to see him come back. One day, all of this is going to be fixed, all fear gone, and he's going to heal this world once and forever. Even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. See, next we see in this creed that it reminds us that Jesus sat down at the right hand of the Father. Why do people sit down? They sit down because they're done. The job is done, and Jesus accomplished the mission. It is finished. Now, so far in this creed, all that we've looked at has already happened. But next we're going to see, it's going to talk about the future. What's going to happen soon? The creed says, he ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. See, God already created Jesus already was conceived and crucified and buried and and rose again on the third day. And he ascended. But soon he will judge. That sounds real exciting, right? I can't wait to be judged, right? That's like the cardinal sin in the world right now. Don't judge me. And there's lots of ideas out there about judgment right now. Philosophies about judgment. This first one, tell me if you've ever... Uh, heard this one. Nobody can judge me, right? I saw a guy once uh, walking down the street. He said, only God can judge me, which I'm sure he took comfort in. But for me, that was, uh, you know, it's kind of a scary thing. Only God, hey, wait a minute. You know, if anybody's going to judge me, it's the perfect God that created everything. But that's uh, hedonism, right? No one can judge me. No one can tell me right and wrong. No, uh, who knows what's going to come next? Let me just try and figure out how to be happy right now. Let me avoid the pain and instead seek pleasure, hedonism, right? That's what we think about judgment. But as Christians, we pu- push back against that idea and say right and wrong do matter. And at some point, pleasure is going to run out. It never lasts forever. Two, the second idea of Uh, we have about judgment is this, is that everything is already determined. I'm not responsible. You can't judge me because I'm not really in control. Life has happened to me and I'm just riding this wave of life. I, I didn't have anything to do with this. And that's called fatalism. This idea that I'm just responding. Everything's just happening to me. Everything's already determined. 
And as Christians, we push back against that and say, yes, God is sovereign and God is in control, but he also gave us a free will to choose right and wrong. And what I do matters. The third idea and philosophy that we have about judgment is only what I do matters. That's legalism. Judge me not by my uh, motives or my heart, but by my works. And hey, just as a favor to you, I'll judge everyone else. You're welcome. And I'm going to judge them by the standard of what makes them a good person. I'm going to sit back and say, you're good, you're not good. And I'm going to give you a hint how you can know what a good person is. It looks a lot like me, right? These are ideas that we all have about judgment. Don't judge me. Nobody can judge me. Uh, Everything's already determined. Or only judge me by what I do and not by what my heart wants and, and my desires and motives are. But what does this judgment that Jesus is going to bring look like? Now, when we talk about judgment, we talk about the next life and the second coming and the tribulation, most people want to know two things. They want to know when, when's this going to happen? And they want to know how, what are all the steps? How can I learn more about it? And if you talk to a hundred different pastors, you're going to get a hundred different answers on those things. And, And those things are important. But what is even more important about this next life, about this what's to come and the the future, what's more important is why. What is God trying to accomplish? Let's see. We'll go over to Matthew chapter 25. Jesus talks about the second coming. And this is right after the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. The Pharisees once again are pushing against Jesus, knowing that people are recognizing him as the Messiah. And the disciples start to ask questions. How do we know about the, you're the Messiah? How do we know about you coming again and and the resurrection of the dead? And this is near the end of his response in Matthew chapter 25, verse 31. Jesus says, when the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations. And he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but his goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you and naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed into the internal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me naked and you did not clothe me sick and in prison and you did not visit me. 
And then they will also answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or stranger or naked or sick or in prison and we did not minister to you? And then he will answer them saying, truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. See, Jesus talks about his uh, second coming a lot. He talks about the women being prepared with their lamps. He talks about coming as a thief in the night. And he wants us to know that this is something we need to prepare for. We need to look forward to it. We need to be ready. But now he gets a little more specific here. He tells them one day he won't be standing on the dusty edge of a mountain. He'll instead be standing by the throne of God the Father. And one day it won't just be a few uh, people gathered from a city in Jerusalem. It will be every nation, every tribe, every tongue, all gathered together realizing his glory. And next Jesus starts talking about the sheep and the goats. And this is a common theme of scripture. The sheep represent the followers of the one true God and the goats represent the followers of the world. And one day, even though now we're all herded together, one day Jesus will stand in judgment once and for all and separate the sheep from the goats. But rest assured, he makes no mistakes. He is the true and the righteous judge. Now to the sheep, Jesus says, come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And right after this, Jesus talks about how these sheep have been helping the poor and feeding them and clothing the naked and helping the stranger. And if you're not careful, you can begin to build a case for work salvation, that good works is what matters here. That was the difference makers between the sheep and the goats. But notice in this verse, it says it's an inheritance. Now, where does an inheritance come from? It's because a father was faithful to set aside something for his children, and then that father died. This is a place of uh, an honor that you didn't earn. This is an inheritance. It wasn't because of your good works. It was offered because the death of Christ. And this was always a plan before the foundation of the world, before you ever had a chance to do any good works, God had already made this plan. So the sheep look at Jesus and they're like, when did we ever come in contact with you? When did we do all these good works where we, where we clothed the, you as, as someone that needed clothes and we uh, you know, helped you as a stranger and fed you as someone that was hungry? These sheep weren't you know, proud and listing all their accomplishments. But Jesus says, when you help the least, you serve me. Jesus, when you serve those that can't help themselves, when those that are broken, you serve me. See, these aren't qualifications to get into heaven. These are evidences that you are different. It's already in you. To the sheep, Jesus says, come. But to the goats, he says, depart. But why? Well, God showed us through our actions that they didn't believe. Through these actions, hey, there's a difference between the sheep and the goats. And the evidence shows it. And the evidence shows that the goats did not truly believe. Why? Because belief changes us. 
Just like the rich man with Lazarus. The rich man's actions in ignoring those hurting people right around him, right outside his doorstep, showed that, they, that he did not have genuine faith. They didn't possess the Holy Spirit. And the goats showed no evidence of belief. To the goats, Jesus, the judge says this, Depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Verily I say unto you, just like you did not do to the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. If you love Jesus, you're going to love people. Why? Because Jesus loves people. And we see here that works don't save us, but works do, uh, but salvation does change us. Our works don't save us, but salvation does change us. We see that Jesus ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. Jesus finished the work. He shook off humanity. He sat down by the Father, but he did not leave us alone. He left us the Holy Spirit. And sometime soon, he will judge our faith, whether it is real or not. Well, how can you know whether you have real faith or not? How can you know whether you have genuine belief? Belief changes us. Are you compelled? Are you sent into the world and being a witness of the gospel like it says here? Are you telling people about Jesus? Are you helping people that will never, ever be able to help you back? Are you loving God and loving your neighbor? Let's say this creed as we finish. Let's say it together. You say it out loud in your home. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate. He was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. The third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Christian church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sin, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Church, one day God's going to come back. Jesus is coming again, and he's going to set all things right forever. Is it time? Bible says we don't have the authority to know that. God only knows. But what we do need to know is we need to be ready at any moment. We need to be prepared we got to stop putting on our blinders and, and just being distracted by everything and realize that life matters and our time is short. Are we walking in the Spirit? Are we producing fruit? Has our belief produced any genuine change in our life? This world is so broken. Even so come, Lord Jesus.